99 drinks still left to go Welcome all in and enjoy the show It's me though with E, I'm the host You know, so sit back, relax, grab a snack and let's go Modi order, everybody. Welcome back. This is me, Rawari, the host of the 99 Dreams podcast. If this is your first time listening, welcome. We've got a special guest today. We've got another brother from Taranaki. He grew up out there in Hawara. Shout out H-Dub. Um, now my guy is at Vic Uni doing amazing things. So I'll throw it over to Harris real quick to introduce himself. What up, bro? What up, bro? It's Harris here. Uh, so... I guess a quick introduction. Uh, I am. I, I play this game with people, but I can't play it with an audience that I can't, I can't interact with. So, um, for, I, I usually ask people, "Hey, where do you think I'm from?" And I've gotten a lot of a lot of guesses, right? Um, a lot of different. Actually, I'll tell this story and, and before I reveal it, <laughs> I was in a hostel ages ago, a couple of years ago, before the pandemic, of course. And I was in an elevator, and someone asked me, "Hey, bro, where are you from?" And I asked him, "Where do you think I'm from?" And he goes, "Uh huh." I think you're from Jamaica, and I, I was like, <laughs> in my head, I thought, you know, I'm never going to see this guy again, so do I go with it? But then I'm like, also, cultural appropriation, that's the thing, right? I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, <bro. laughs> yeah, exactly, right? I don't want to. I'm like, well, I told him, man, I am not from Jamaica, but... I want to know what made you think that I was, <laughs> because as you can tell from my accent, I'm not Jamaican at all. Very Jamaican, bro. Um, yeah. So eventually, I, I told him, "I'm like, bro, I'm I'm from Pakistan." So I moved from Pakistan to New Zealand to Aotearoa in 2004 as a kid, and it was real interesting, man. One of the interesting things that I discovered from moving here was because of my complexion and my skin color and my hair color, I don't really look like most Pakistanis, right? And when I moved to New Zealand, people at first glance thought I was a Kiwi or I was Maori. And I didn't have too much of an accent, so uh, I kind of blended it in. But here's the interesting part. I, even though I looked similar to people here, I got initially treated worse than I did in Pakistan, right? Like, I don't know if it's just that time when kids are just dicks and they just bully you but that's one thing i found really interesting because think about it like if you if you go to a place and you see other people oh cool more people look like me here than back home but then people are dicks here than back home. <laughs> uh, i think it's taranaki in general man <laughs> like, during that time if you were maori you did not want to be maori at that point in time bro yeah yeah that's that's a good point actually that's a good point um, but yeah, so uh, I moved over in 2004. I uh, had this, you know, this immigrant mentality of wanting to really work hard and do the right things for my family and, you know, most importantly myself. Um, but, but I also had this sort of side of me that was just a curious human that just did a lot of different things. Um, so through that, I got into exercise and health and fitness because I just enjoyed understanding about the human body and how it functioned and the way you could help people with movement and that was really fascinating so I became a personal trainer I did that for a few years started working in a few different gyms did my own thing at the same time 
as I was becoming a PT and becoming a successful personal trainer, I started competing in powerlifting. That was a lot of fun. Over time, I kept competing and kept winning. So <laughs> I just, you know, I eventually did nationals in New Zealand. Oh, dude. Oh, my God. Okay. So <laughs> you, you got you to gotta clip this. This is, this is crazy. I still can't believe this to this day. The day of nationals in Wellington, uh, in New Zealand, was um, the same day the Olympics were on. So the Olympics were happening the same year and the same time as um, nationals for powerlifting. And I competed and I won gold in nationals. Now, my dad picked it up. He saw my post on social media and he shared it. And next thing I know, I'm getting a phone call from the news agency in Pakistan saying, hey, can we get an interview from the weight, Olympic weightlifting champion from born in, born in Pakistan in New Zealand? And I'm like, do you, have, do you have the wrong number? He's like, your name's Harris? I'm like, yeah, that's my name. And you lift weights? I'm like, that's, that's what I do. And, and you want a gold medal? Yes. So I think we've got the right person. I'm like, I think you have the right person too, but I think something is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so so it turns out when my dad shared my post his friend uh from uh the national the, the national news agency picked it up and and thought I competed in the Olympics and broadcasted it on national media like prime time 6 p.m. news and the whole of Pakistan thought that I was an Olympic gold champion So I should have updated the intro to say Harris, <laughs> Olympic gold medalist. Alleged. Alleged. <laughs> alleged. <laughs> I can't. I can't. So I, I didn't correct anyone. I mean, I was getting a lot. <laughs> I was getting a lot of calls to do like talks and engagement stuff in Pakistan. And I'm going, so how much are you going to pay? <laughs> and then they said, um, not much, and I said, you know what? Uh, I think my time is a bit best spent in in uh, Aotearoa, actually. <laughs> and I just I just left it there, but bro, I I couldn't believe it. The timing couldn't have been any better. Bro, you should have played on there. You could have promoted the shit out of your brain. <laughs> I should have. Eh? I saw, yeah, yeah. Apparently, the, I've got this thing called integrity, and I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> Throw it in the bin and become the biggest star in Pakistan. <laughs> Yeah, I I think I think I think I could probably reap some of it back. I reckon if I try. Uh, but anyway, yeah. So I I, I competed in powerlifting. I, I got injured, so I couldn't keep competing anymore, which was a shame. Uh, to all my um Olympic gold medalist um companions, you know, they wanted to compete against. <laughs> couldn't defend the championship. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm like I'm so notorious because apparently I'm a champion, but you can't. You, there's no clips of me online, right? So <laughs> just put uh, it on your Wikipedia. Yeah, I wonder if I have a Wikipedia. Imagine that. <laughs> uh, so after yeah, after uh, competing and getting injured, I decided something interesting happened. Uh, I because like powerlifting and uh, and PTing was all that I did. After my injury, I couldn't do those things to the capacity that I once could. So my confidence dropped and I went into this sort of uh, depression because uh, I lost my identity in a way, right? I lost this the thing that 
people knew me as harris is the dude who's really strong but also knows a lot about personal training and exercise and um, the human movement and when i couldn't do that i just like i just lost all sense of direction i went from becoming one of the most successful pts at les mills to like barely holding on and at one point i just had to quit because i couldn't make any money there was this mental block that i couldn't overcome so ultimately i just knew that i had to take a step back and reset and see what the next steps were that was that was that was pretty tough i'm not gonna lie like you when you have something that you do that you're good at and you're no longer good at it it's it's tough and i can really empathize like i'm watching the nba right now like i can really empathize with pro athletes who were once at the top of the top right like and then when they don't eventually you know father time is undefeated eventually they lose their athletic capacity or capability and they're not there but they still think they can be right so that's that's sort of what i went through um and then i had to you know this is cheesy as hell but i had to find myself right uh and you do that in different ways i i uh i I got another job in in a a different area just so i could have something stable um started doing sales which is actually a lot of fun like if you get into it right because i enjoy talking to people so that was that was pretty interesting Um, and at the same time i started seeing a uh a therapist i'm like cool i need to sort my um locomotive off my brain and figure out a new way to improve my life so i did that for a while and that that was super helpful not not because it was um therapy but like not not just because i was talking to someone but because the way it was constructed the way the my therapist directed the conversations and made me think of things that i wouldn't have otherwise and gave, gave me the space um and that helped me rebuild my curiosity and the different things that i could try after a few months i got offered a job as a personal training teacher so i had to start teaching people how to become personal trainers now i don't know about you but if you are really good at something and then you suck you lose a lot of fucking confidence yeah. and then when you have to teach people about the thing that you eventually ended up sucking at that is oh my god the mental barrier of that was crazy uh like i mean you've done some like tutoring right at um a uni so you get the idea but when i was teaching it was it was it was weird like so harris how do you uh you know like you were a successful pt and i was like <clears throat> yeah at one point and i was really um insecure about my past because i i thought that if, if people knew everything that i would say would be discredited but one day i just i was like you know i just have to let this out like like i i mean this is this is part of the story right and this could happen to those guys and if i don't tell them that this is a reality that they could face then i'm not doing them the service that they are paying for so in and the new rendition a new uh, intake new class i the first thing i said is hi my name is harris and i failed it as a personal trainer and everyone's like oh shit what the fuck are we doing here uh right right so i i said um i've gone from being one of the best to one of the worst and i've made all the mistakes so you don't have to and from that point onwards 
um, they trusted me because they knew that I knew both ends of the spectrum from being, you know, really well, from doing the things that made you good and from doing the things that um, make you lose your job. So that was really empowering. I did that for uh, four years and, and continued teaching. And it was a pretty rewarding uh, experience for two reasons. One, when someone doesn't have the belief that they can do something and you meet them halfway and they go, you know, I'll meet you halfway too. And they put in the work and at the end, they see themselves doing things they didn't even imagine they could do, you know, like the confidence of understanding the human body and communicating with other people when someone at first glance is the shyest person you've ever seen. And the shyness isn't a byproduct of, you know, their lack of confidence or, or like knowledge or anything. It's it's their ability to make connections is just a little bit different, right? They need a bit more time and self-assurance. And when you give them that over time, man, they blossom and it's it's beautiful. One of my students, this is this is such a cool story. They are like near the end of the course, you have to take on a client of your own as a case study. And one of my students took on his dad and his dad had diabetes and some other health problems. And you have to train them for six for six weeks. At the end of the six weeks, he came back to me and, and you know, we he was I, I keep telling my students, like, if you just do the things, you know, you'll make some progress. And then if it doesn't work, that's when you adjust. But if you don't do it, then you'll never know. So he told me, Harris, I did the things that we talked about. And my dad doesn't have diabetes anymore. He reversed his dad's type 2 diabetes. I was blown away. I, I couldn't believe it, bro. Like, when I when I said, how, how, how did it happen? He's like, well, we just did the stuff that we learned. <laughs> we stayed consistent. It was it was pretty beautiful, man. It was pretty beautiful. It just goes to show the power of just sticking to it, I guess. Ah, that's huge, bro. That's so rewarding for both the son, the father, and your teaching, man. Yeah, hard out, hard out. It was it was magical. Uh, and one of the so that's like one of the positives of the job. One of the challenging aspects of that job was when you build strong relationships with the students. And I was also personal training a little bit on the side. They will tell you about the the depths of their lives, you know, in all aspects, the positives and the negatives, right? And they, I, I would, become like, I'm a pretty empathetic dude. I people, you know trust me pretty quickly so they share a lot of things and a lot of the team a lot of the students shared a lot of their struggles right like day in day out that's basically at one point all I was taking in and even though I was glad they were sharing it with me I felt really helpless I couldn't really do anything you know apart from listening even though in in a lot of instances I know that's enough for a lot of people that they've got someone who is actually paying attention intently and listening to what they have to say. But for me, I wanted to do something more, right? I knew I can help people, but there was just another path. So I started looking into mental health and well-being. And because I'd been to therapy and I'd had those experiences, I could, I could share that. And that encouraged uh, some of my students to go and get therapy themselves and some of the some of the guys who as well right most excuse me most importantly because guys are way less likely to go to therapy and when i saw that happening and saw that shift in their mindset i'm like i think i want to even though i'm making an impact in this area i want to do something else i want to change the way i make 
an impact on people's lives and i want to make more of an impact on people's lives through changing their mind so that influenced me to study psychology that was about three years ago i have i literally just finished my last exam a couple days ago let's go and and i'm ready man i i i've been so excited to get into this field and help people i've already been doing like you know mental health seminars and webinars um and the beautiful thing about this area is there's so many different ways you can help people and you can help yourself and the it's it's so it's simple but it's like it's hard you know it's one of those things like it's simple to understand what i need to do i need to um be better at my emotional resilience what does that mean i need to get better at feeling negative emotion we can we you know we can get into all those topics but you know that that's a simple concept but the way you apply it is extremely challenging because you have to put yourself in a difficult and uncomfortable situation and my motto at the moment is i want to help people get better at feeling bad because when you feel bad when you're in that discomfort that is where you grow even though it's cheesy, you, we we have to get better at feeling bad because especially now more than ever, um, where uh, we see a lot of things on social media, in our lives, it's conflict everywhere and it makes us feel like crap in subtle ways and in big ways, right? Yep. And if we can improve our ability to feel discomfort, feel negative emotion, and when I say negative emotion, like negative not as in negative as in bad, but negative as in it makes you feel uncomfortable, negative emotions can still be a positive thing it can lead to a positive experience right so that's sort of what i'm up to these days and that's sort of what i want to get out to people essentially you know and that's kind of like this um <clears throat> this phrase i always use ever since i got into postgrad you kind of got to be comfortable being uncomfortable that's where your growth occurs is being comfortably uncomfortable uh, hide up and it's 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 a skill as well right so when you and with any skill some people are naturally better at it than others right and it can come down to it's it's people people go as a nature it's nurture it's always both it's always both let's stop talking about it it's always both right uh and then so like someone can have um better uh nervous system regulation so how your you know your heart rate how how high it gets how low it gets some people have better control of that naturally so when shit hits a fan their heart rate doesn't spike as high and so their thinking won't speed up as much and they can really take time to think about certain situations where for some other people maybe their nervous system regulation isn't that strong and when shit hits a fan the heart rate spikes and they get get into the sort of mental spiral of um you know like uh defeative sort of thinking but the way you can i guess work on that this is the so many I mean there's so many different ways, but the first part is accepting that you have to confront discomfort and negative emotion, right? So with all of those emotions, what is one supposed to do in those times when they get overwhelmed that it just becomes way too much? That's a that's a really good question. Okay, so let's let's uh say you are um at work right and your boss gives you some crazy deadlines and you can't focus on it because you know you're having relationship problems with your significant other right emotional distress 
um, can make it really hard to focus and think. But you, there are some cognitive, there are some tools you can use. One, and like you, you have to figure out a way to think differently. And sometimes the best way to do that is to talk um, to people, right? There was a, this is a study that looked at what happens to our cognition and how we think in our performance in two aspects. One, when we are um, suppressing the, uh, an emotion, both externally, like we're not showing people how we're feeling, and when we are suppressing the internal experience of that emotion. And they compared that to when you feel an emotion you think about it you go okay um this is what i'm experiencing i let's let's figure out a way to uh think differently or talk to someone to help me um be okay with this feeling right the people who suppress their emotions were decreased their performance by you know like s- up to 60 percent which is nuts that's right? huge that's huge that's Shitty. huge that's yeah and the people who were able to, um, and sorry, on that note, so the people who suppress their emotions, they nothing nothing changed. But the only thing that got that the only thing that changed was their fight or flight response that got higher, right? So nothing positive happened. More negative stuff happened. But when people decided to listen to their body, think about the emotion they're experiencing, and figure out a way, either through thinking about the situation differently or talking to someone else to help them think about the situation differently they felt better and then they could overcome the negative like let's like their performance didn't like go to like tenfold up right because they're already in a negative state so they got way closer to that equilibrium and to be able to do the things that they needed to do and that's just the power of simply going oh this is i'm feeling like shit and that's okay let's figure out a way to overcome this and not just suppress it right that's that's got to be a tough skill to sort of learn and then apply mm-hmm. it is it is and i think the biggest reason is especially in this day and age is because everything is so fast everything is happening so fast social media makes everything seem like the world is you know craving cradling cradling under you know 10 times a day you know, there's so many different negative things happening all the time and, and work, depending on your workplace and your work pace, can make it seem like you have to do things super quickly. The one thing that I find really interesting when you look at people uh, who display like jobs at work, right? So if you go on seek.co.nz and you look at the different jobs, a lot of the descriptions say, hey, we've got a fast uh, paced work environment with crazy deadlines and which is which is cool like you, in some instances you do need that right but can, like we've forgotten to sort of slow down and i think we have to take a step back to take two steps forward again we rush so much all the time in uh sometimes in a state of mind that isn't the best but we keep trying to push through and ultimately we make decisions that aren't the best and it's you are seen as not as capable or weak or not as smart if you decide to slow down and really think about some stuff. Taking the time to think is necessary, right? And and you need that. That's one of the biggest things. You're just slowing down. That's all, right? Right. So you'd kind of 
for those that need a visual demonstration, it's kind of like if you're speeding in a car, you've mm-hmm. got less time to make um, errors because you're going so exactly. fast. Any kind of error, you're just going to slide off and crash. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. And we've been used to this. We've been used to driving uh, Formula One for so long, but we haven't really built the skill for it. And sometimes we need to learn to drive a Toyota Aqua hatchback, you know, nice and slow and steady. Get out the Prius. Yeah, get out the Prius, right? Nice and safe, nice and functional. Uh, And give us some time to process what we are experiencing and what's happening around us before we do make decisions. And I want to build off of this a little bit is, with therapy, how much does that help? Like, how well do you open up in that kind of space, or even just getting there in the first instance? Okay, that's a that's a really good question. So, therapy uh, is it isn't just one thing; it's a lot of different things. Like, if I if I say I'm going to go train, the, that doesn't really give you much information. Is, is it CrossFit? Is it weightlifting? Is it calisthenics? So, just like that, therapy is very similar. There's different types of therapies and there's different types of therapists. So the first thing is you the only the the one one study said that the best outcome between when it comes to therapy is your relationship with your therapist. So ultimately you just have to find someone. If if anything that you do, you have to, just have to if you're looking for a therapist, you just have to find someone you connect with and you can relate to. Right, so if you're a, a guy in your mid twenties and your therapist is a woman in her uh, mid sixties, let's say, she might be the best therapist in the world. But maybe if there's this, you know, uh, disconnect of understanding, she might not be the best for you, right? So if there's another dude who's in his late twenties who's had similar experiences to yours, but also has those therapeutic skills, not only will you be able to connect and build that trust. But that relatability will help you open up to that to that person. So that's one of the biggest uh, keys when you go out to therapy. It's such a great experience, but only if the relationship, just like just like anything, right? Like everything that is awesome uh, in our society is because it happens through building great relationships around the people that we have. Therapy is no different, right? So that's the first thing that I would suggest. the The second thing is there's a misconception that you when you go to therapy you're supposed to come out feeling good after every session or whatever but a good therapist will help you confront uh challenging thoughts challenging experiences in a safe way of course in a safe space but you might leave a therapy session going oh man i this i kind of feel worse going out than i did going in what's going on maybe this therapist is terrible but you have to, right? You have to go through that process of feeling like crap. And I'll say, I'll say this: there's no such thing as a good emotion or a good feeling or, or or bad emotion, right? So everything has its own purpose. It just depends on whether it's useful or not, right? Me being angry or upset when someone has done something to me that. Has, has made my life worse is completely appropriate but if I'm feeling upset and nothing has changed then that's something to think about okay what what's going on here this feeling is no longer useful I can't act on it because nothing's happening 
and that's something you learn in therapy that's one of the things i learned in therapy it's you have to understand the that you know you don't always should listen to your thoughts and your emotions they're just signals right and sometimes that signal can be accurate it can lead you into a, into a path that can help you fix some shit in your life but sometimes it could just be a faulty signal that's just popping off because it thinks it needs to but it it, it doesn't right does that make sense yeah 100 100%, 100%. um sounds like you're talking about learning emotional control as opposed to letting the emotions control yeah i would say i would i would label it as a learning to regulate your emotions because we can't control our emotions because they just sort of come up we we experience them and then we have to manage that experience if for example, if you just went out on a rampage of cursing me out out of nowhere right now, and I'm like, and it made me feel like shit because maybe you 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 win at all my insecurities. I'd be like, <laughs> what the fuck is this dude doing? And I would feel a lot of anxiety, a lot of anger, frustration, sadness. Um, and that would be appropriate. And I'd be like, okay, cool. What's what can I do? This is again why we can why we need to slow down, right? Because if I'm a really reactive person, I'll come right back at you. I'll be like, "You son of a you know, whatever." <laughs> Let's not go into a profanity um, round. <laughs> uh, but if I have the ability to manage and regulate my emotions well, then I know whatever you're saying is coming from a place that it's got nothing to do with me, right? everything you'll you'll be saying if you say to say that stuff would have nothing to do with me but it's still affecting me now i can go okay well i just need to step away get away from ra he's such a dick let's and understand that the emotions i'm experiencing aren't a byproduct of anything that i've done right so i can just i can be like hey it's okay to feel these things because the person said the things and you related to it in a negative way does, what does that mean? It doesn't have to mean anything, right? You, it's, it's like we don't have to put a, a meaning to it ultimately, and we can just go. Okay, it is a feeling. I'm not a terrible human. Ra was just mad for whatever reason, and you take, you pause, and you keep moving forward. Right, right. There's, there's the, the interesting thing though, like one of the things that I've really uh, have looked into is emotional literacy, right? So just just then I listed off a whole lot of different emotions, right? Now, the average emotion, the average number of emotions people know are angry, sad, and happy, right? On average, that's what most people, excuse me, think about. And when, oh man, I'm going to, no, I'm not going to burp. Okay. <laughs> And the thing with emotional literacy is if you can't articulate the emotion you're experiencing, your world or your or your internal world it becomes a very black and white, right? You, be, you turn into someone who is either just happy or mad or sad, but there's so much more nuance than that, right? You've got content, you've got disappointment, you've got satisfaction you've got surprise you've got joy like if i ask you right now ra are you feeling an emotion most people in your position would be like i'm not you know i'm not alert i'm not aroused i'm not heightened therefore i'm not feeling an emotion but in this like 
you you can tell me what you're feeling, but for me, if I'm in a calm state, I'm feeling like content. I'm feeling just chill, right? That's still an emotion. No, it's just the level of its um, uh, excitability, I guess, isn't up here or isn't down here, but it's still our experience. And because we don't have that emotional literacy skill, our experience is very black and white where it can be more nuanced and really help us understand ourselves and the world around us way better. Right, right. And so emotional literacy, um, why is it not as commonly known? Uh, that's, isn't that the question now? I would, <laughs> I would say there's two aspects to it. It's, I think it's, an, it's an, everything sort of stems from, and I wouldn't even say that, I don't know, but here's what I think. Yeah. Let's let's start with that. I think one reason is we haven't really built social and emotional skills until recently. So these tools haven't been introduced to us until maybe the last um, decade or so. And that's only been in predominantly primary schools for kids, right? And they've been taught by specialists uh, and those specialists come in, let's say once in a blue moon. It's like, you're, it's like the giraffe friend that, that used to come visit <laughs> schools, right? Or whatever his name was. Oh, Harold. Oh, Harold. There we go. Yeah. So <laughs> if, if you saw Harold once like a year, you're not going to take on those lessons, right? Like, like you need, you need some repetition, you need practice. And we're only just discovering that these skills are important for our kids, but also, just as important if not more important for us adults because of the fluctuation we go through right if you've got the cognitive ability to bid to, to use them better but if we don't develop them they're just not gonna be necessary and the other reason i think it hasn't been a big thing was because through well for a lot of um time just mental cognitive and emotional skills weren't seen as necessary they weren't seen as something that we needed um, at all and we know now like i mentioned before if you can't learn to manage your emotion and your um, negative experiences that can repress like decision making cognitive thinking performance sociability all these factors and now that we know that we can flip a switch and start working on those areas do you think there needs to be change in the education sector around how we develop these skills and learning how we can manage our emotions better? How much time do you have? Plenty, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, short answer, yes. Here's the long answer. Well, the longer answer, anyway. I would say, so when it comes to... Uh, Here's the problem with teaching emotions in school. You, you would need teachers um, to teach them, right? But teachers need to learn and would need to be good enough at those skills, right? But if they are either reluctant to or just disengage or for whatever reason don't want to, then th that those skills are never going to be translated onto kids, right? And these emotional tools and skills that we can develop they're hard to develop right 
and they're hard for adults to develop because it's just harder to change as an adult than it is as a kid, right? So I think that's one of the bigger issues. So if we have these school these skills developed early on in our just, like we need to we need to start somewhere. I just I don't know where, but we need to start somewhere. So eventually when the teachers become well, when yeah, when they become teachers, they have those skills ready to go to help um, children in primary school. I would say a good place would be in uh, tertiary education for 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 teachers to be right, and and maybe a greater emphasis on that because social and emotional skills, as we know now, are way more useful in the world we live in because so many things are becoming automated, uh, and like the work we do now has, is going to change quite dramatically over the next couple of decades but these emotional skills are going to be therefore more necessary so i think that's a good place to start but that's just it, it, honestly it, it, it needs to be somewhere but i think that is one way yeah yeah and i guess um with a lot of social media and fast social media a lot of negative social media do you have any ideas of how we can use social media and its accessibility as a tool to promote positive um, mental health yeah 100 percent. so social media is you know it's synonymous with bad mental health right and it's because it's got the capability to really make us feel like shit definitely uh but I think the bigger, it's 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 like another tool, right? But it not, it's not a tool like a screwdriver is a tool. Because in some instances, because of the way social media is manipulated to keep us hooked, right? It's called the attention economy for a reason. The more, you know, the more time, the longer we pay attention, the more money the bigger businesses make. And the things that... Uh, keep us paying attention are things that get us uh, physiologically aroused so that increase our heart rate in some way and usually that's negative stuff right a lot of negative stuff even though we don't want to see it it's actually the thing that keeps us coming back and hooked you know and there's also the positive stuff that, that helps us out but it's usually the negative stuff so what I would say is you want to find or you want to use apps. I'm going to burp again. There we go. We're good. You, you want to use apps that you can control and curate the feed as much as possible. So if you're using TikTok, which is one of the biggest social media apps right now, a lot of that is pre-curated for you. You have literally no fucking choice, almost, of what you see, right? And the algorithm will decide the things that you look at the longest, the things that you share. And usually that's like crazy, crazy shit in either like good or, or bad ways, but interesting things. And like that, that could also be false information, right? It could be whatever, but you'd have way less control over that. You've got a bit more control in Instagram. If you turn off the, if you go into the settings and turn off suggested posts, because that way, you're way less likely to see things that Instagram suggests for you, minus the ads, because you're always going to see the ads, and you're way more likely, right, to curate a feed to better fit what you'd prefer to see. 
the next thing you can do is if you don't want to stop using social media you need a continuous reminder on your phone about how it's affecting you right just an awareness a continuous awareness can help you think differently when you are presented with some negative like if 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 you see you know like the war and you just see a lot of horrible shit and it keeps you on that sort of train of disaster after disaster and you keep scrolling if you have reminders maybe not in the moment but at some point you'll go oh yeah this is not good for me i need to take a step back and change right so having some form of reminder and i think those are the easiest things to do there are other things like like just don't use it but i don't think that's helpful because like we just live in a day and age where we're going to use it so instead of giving people advice and just saying nah don't use it it's better just to be like this is the, the way you can best manage it at least right right well i guess something that's going to spin off of this but is kind of in that same tune previously you talked about um you know that loss of identity for some people, you know, having social media is their identity. It's who they are. They are everything about it. How does one manage with that? That's a really good question. Uh, okay, cool. Yeah, so I there's, there's two ways you can think about identity. Um, and one is as um, a scaffold with X amount of stable legs right if your identity is held up on one leg like mine was which was being strong and knowing a lot about exercise if that shatters then your identity will shatter with it however if your identity is scaffolded with on multiple legs which could be you know how awesome of a friend you are how caring of a neighbor you are how good of a cook you are how interested in cricket you are how good at strength training you are you know if you have if your identity is it's like a portfolio you've got to diversify it essentially <laughs> that's what you are that's what you need to do with your identity so if you have this identity based on social media um because you're putting on a lot of content and this is just who you are you need to secure yourself by having a different places where you can be like, you know what? I'm not just the guy who posts amazing shit on TikTok about, I don't know, psychology, but I'm also uh, a really good friend for uh, this, my, my friends who just got a baby and I'm really helping them, you know, settle into the, the new stage of life. And and I think if your identity is is more catered towards the service you can give to your community, the people around you, it's going to like, they're going to feed it right back, right? If you have your identity based on something that is just you giving and, and like, and there's no like real feedback to that. Then if you lose it, the other, there's no other side. So they can't lift you back up. You know, if I'm feeling like shit and I can't help my friends for some reason, then they're going to lift me back up, right? Because I supported them. Because that's part of my identity and they know that, right? So you've got to diversify how you think about yourself and who you are and and, and try your best to do it relative to supporting and, and being at service to your community and, and the connections you have. 
So you're saying it's it's okay not to have your life revolve around one thing, and it's, that be you? Yeah, hundred percent. It's it's actually dangerous to have your life revolve around one thing. Psychologically dangerous because if you lose it, what else do you have, right? Hundred percent. Well, how about this one then? How do you reclaim or maintain your cultural identity in amongst all of that? That's a really powerful question. The so I, I'll share, I guess, my experience with with cultural identity because it is my one is pretty complicated, right? So after moving, like I said, moving to New Zealand and looking like more of a Kiwi, right? So when when there's a thing with immigrants that they move uh, to a new country. They do one of two things: they either assimilate, which means you know get amongst the culture of that, uh, the new world that they live in, the new country, or sort of ground their own culture within that. Right? What I did when I first came to New Zealand because I was young, I wanted to assimilate, I wanted to fit in, I wanted to belong. Right? Especially because I almost thought I did the way I looked. So I'm like, why not go balls deep? Right? So I started um, getting really into the, like most of my friends in high school and primary school were maori you know um and i adopted a lot of the aotearoa culture i did a lot of pakahaka kapahaka my bad um yeah and i i just i just got amongst it all and i that i sort of left my pakistani identity behind in a sense at that time anyway because it wasn't useful for me here right I, I didn't have any Pakistani friends. I, I, had, I had family, of course, but I wanted to expand beyond my family. And holding on to my Pakistani culture wasn't helping me do that, right? So I, I over time, lost my connection, my identity to my Pakistani culture, and I was just really assimilating, really getting amongst the Aotearoa, the Maori culture. But over time, I felt there was a disconnect because... Like, it was. It's always gonna, like being being who I am is just is just going to be me. And I need. I, I decided that I need to reconnect with my heritage. Because if I lose that, that's like your foundation, right? I can't lose my fucker papa, right? And I think for me, when you have a strong grounding of your fucker papa. I didn't I didn't learn this until like very recently through my experiences that when you're going through shit that can be a really strong scaffolding to help support you when you are in the depths of it and I and I, and I learned that through being around my Maori friends and and seeing you know their genealogy and their family and their support system and and connecting that to my my Pakistani culture right yeah what do you, what do you reckon yeah, bro, it's, it, it is a real tough question. Like, um, for me, growing up, Māori, the last thing I wanted to be was Māori. Because, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not fun. At least, you know, I'm light-skinned, so <laughs> I can get away with it <laughs> until I open my mouth, and then they're like, bro, you're not white. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it is tough, but there's always that constant in the back of your head. Like, why am I doing this? Why am I pretending to be someone I'm not? And I don't think it was until I went to um, Wellington at NZIS and further into my Dunedin years that I realized, why am I trying to run from it? Like, 
I shouldn't be I should be embracing my Maori heritage because that's the one constant thing in my life that will always remain is my cultural identity. You know, my Baka Papa will never change. Um, our stories will never change. They will always remain the same. It's, it's why change who you are? Just go back to home, essentially, you know, your your cultural identity. For me, anyway, that, that's... That's a... I, one thing I thought of when you said that, like, always coming back to your cultural identity, I think two things can be true. You can you can have your cultural identity and branch out to understand other cultures and how other the similarities between other cultures and your own and the only way you're going to learn that is by branching out right by trying to understand other cultures and bro i should you know when i like i think a year two years into like being in new zealand i'm going man our our culture, our Pakistani culture and Maori culture, in a lot of ways, is very similar, right? And when I realize that, I'm going, huh? If if the culture is similar, if we deconstruct that, that means the way that we think about ourselves and our families is also very similar. And I was like, yeah, that makes sense because when I'm with my you know Maori friends and their families, if I'm hanging around hanging at their places, I feel like. I'm more at home than, you know, at a different place, you know? So when I, when I go back to my house, I'm like, Oh, this, the, there's the disconnect isn't really there. Right. There's, there's way more overlap between the cultures, but you only learn that through understanding different ones. But like you said, you've got your own and it's important to stay connected to that as much as you can, because that will in time, in, in, in dear times when you, when you need it, it's going to be there, but only if you give back to it, right? Yeah, yeah, 100%. It's, um, that is, like you say, it's, it's a real fine line to dance on. It is super important to, um, you know, have an understanding and, a, and an appreciation for who you are, but it's also um, even more powerful to have an understanding of other cultures and learn those similarities, like you said. Um, I think, the only people that don't have a similarity to most indigenous cultures are the the ones who did the colonizing. I think. Who are they? I've forgotten. <laughs> I think it's the ones that made me light skinned. <laughs> Apparently, they have some great um mashed potatoes and bangers and. Bull. And artifacts, or too, Artif- too soon. Who, who's artifacts? Liz, <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think um, I think a better question is whose artifacts do they not have? I think, I think it's, it's <laughs> their own. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, the, the slander. Okay, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We love everyone on the show. It's just a bit <laughs> <Yeah>. of banter. <laughs> one, bro. One, one. one just just talking about like just the state of the world right now one thing that cracks me up is so if you look at london what's happening there london has the london's new mayor is a muslim pakistani and london's uh, and uk's new prime minister could be an indian dude yo take it back i know right okay okay guys once you once you get in 
go to the museum and sneak some shit out, okay? Like, just change some policies. Just, you know, just get in, do what you need to do, and get us shit back. Like, bro. Good job. Good job getting in there. 100%. That's huge. Like, that's making waves. Who would have thought? Honestly, yeah, fuck, bro. I, I did not see this coming out. Not in a million years. Bro, that's some, that's some long-term, like, that's a long play. Yeah, I can just imagine, like, you know, hypothetically, if, if New Zealand had a, I don't know, Indonesian prime minister, I'd be like, well, where are we? Where are we living right now? <laughs> but that would be also really cool, right? Because that, that, that means Kiwis, in a way, are overcoming um, cultural barriers, right? Yeah, and it would be yeah. super interesting to learn more about other people, you know? Harder. Because at the moment, we've only really learned about Māori and um, Baga. Haven't really gotten to explore the other cultures that have been living here for quite some time. That's true. That's true. There's this, I feel like, so I'm a a cultural minority, right? And I I thought... Like you can you can think about being a cultural minority in two ways. You can you can think that it's a disadvantage, and in many instances it can be in the real world. But if you double down on thinking that it is a disadvantage, you're not going to do what you need to, to get to get out of it, right? A simple example is if you don't think you're capable of doing something, you're just less likely to try. If you think you're capable, you're going to give something a shot, and you'll find out. So in my head, I'm going. There's this sort of power to being a minority because you have even, even though you might have some disadvantages you've you've got some flexibility to to try different shit right to 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 just branch out and especially now with how woke the world can be nothing's your fault <laughs> i can get away with so much shit <laughs> and i love it like like honestly keep keep bashing like like you know if i can i'll be a minority for what like okay i i also have to acknowledge that i don't look like a typical person who is a minority right so i've got that bias and i understand that and i can like when people see me they don't you know see some cultural baggage straight away they have to talk to me understand me and then they figure out who i am and then that that that, the cultural baggage might come afterwards so I understand that, you know, people who are, who obviously look, I don't know, Indian, who obviously look South Korean, whatever, might not feel that way. But if you think it's going to be a disadvantage, then it always is. So you have to overcome that mental barrier first. And just like with therapy, like it's, it's a skill that you have to learn and overcome over time through experience. So it's not so much a, a hindrance as it is a superpower, really. I think so, right? Because you can understand, like, I've got the capability of relating to and understanding multiple cultures, more than just mine. And you can you can do a lot with it, and especially now where there's more drive for diversity and more drive for equality. You can push for those things, and it's in your power. You, you will have to still work hard. That That goes without saying. But you have to like, and, and there's still gonna be things that are gonna be in your way. But you have you have to try. You have you just have to try. Hard. I mean, it's 
a privilege to have that opportunity to try. There's so many people around the world that don't get given these opportunities to try. And we're in a prime place right now, especially with um, accessibility through technology and stuff like that. This is the era to try and do new shit. Mm -hmm. And when you try and when you do new shit, it's important to go back and give to those who one either think that they can't or actually don't have the, uh, you know, the the safety net of you know the in, in, enough you know money or food or whatever to do those things. Because it, it always come back around. So I feel like whatever I'm doing as a minority group, I have to in some way give back either through my voice and my actions, just so the people who actually don't have you know the resources that's the word that i was looking for the resources to do what i can do and it's just a mental barrier give them as much of the resources so they can still they can they have the power to do something shit yeah because i mean even if you're not directly making the changes in their life today as long as you're providing the tools and and the resources and that know-how over time they'll be able to be in a position where they can be a minority going to become prime minister of a colonized country. Yeah, bro, bro, it's 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 huge. Just seeing someone that you that looks like you do something you didn't think was possible for someone that looks like you can be a major mental hurdle that you overcome. I'll give you one cool example. So, in one of the newer Marvel movies, there's like Supergirl or something. Like there's a there's a girl superhero. Oh, yes, right? yes, yes. Um, like, like a teenager. Miss Marvel or something like that. Yeah, something like that. And she is a Pakistani girl. Kamala Khan. Right? Yeah, yeah, Kamala Khan. And all of the kids who look like her from uh, Southeast Asia, from Pakistan, from India, from Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, they will know, they will, obviously they see, you know, like white superheroes and white people on TVs. They see her, they're like, ah, oh, she can do it. Why, why, why can't I? And that's, that mental barrier when that unlocks is huge, right? And, and I think like I, I, for me, I didn't really need that. And I didn't really understand the power of that because of like my weird upbringing. <laughs> but, but when I learned how powerful that can be, I was like, okay, cool. This is why we push you know minorities to be in, in, in these different areas so people can see that what what they can what they can do what what they're capable of hard like man world's really yours for the taking it really really is mm -hmm. yeah it can be it definitely can be you need and you need help you can't you can't do it alone um there's there's i feel, I feel like there's some 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 people feel the pressure that they need to do everything on their own and fix everything, especially when they lack the resources that other people have, but they don't know that. And that gets really dangerous because if you like I, the, the best, best case scenario is we want to live in a meritocracy, right? So essentially if I put in uh, X amount of work and the other person puts in X amount of work, we should both end up, you know, getting the same sort of outcome, but that's not the case right now right we don't live in a world where uh equal effort equal work e equal output uh makes you know equal levels of performance or uh recognition whatever um and and right uh, this this uh, it's, it's a pretty complicated issue but i feel like with 
while being in with cultural differences i don't know if knowing that is helpful if i know that i'm at a disadvantage because if i put an x amount of work it might not go as far that might make me work no not work as hard right i know that i have to work harder than most people to get to where i need to get to and i have to accept that that's my reality right there's no point in me going ah shit <laughs> right i have to work twi- like oh man like there's no point anymore this there's always a point and the point is um a younger generation might see you and might see the work that you put in and when what you can do even if your back is against the wall even if you have to overcome more hurdles and if you are capable of doing that and by that time their life might become easier because of what you've done and through seeing what you did they might be inspired to also put in the work but if you just go ah is it really worth it then it's you're already lost you've you've already lost someone has to put in the groundwork right for the future to come and walk through like um, in Māori research, our paths were made easier through the revitalization of Te Reo and Kaupapa Māori in the um, late 80s, early 90s. So they created uh, the footpath so that we can walk and then we've walked this footpath and trodden it down so the ones behind us can run. So it's, it's their same mentality? Yeah, 100%, bro. And and this is why the like the cultural differences, the more we think about it, are, are not that different, right? We all... We, the older generations had to put in the work for the newer generations and the older generations knew that they just had to work way harder than you know their their counterparts and i mean i mean i I think this is not just a cultural or race thing like you know you can have two uh groups of pakeha of, of white people who come from completely different backgrounds like high socioeconomic and low socioeconomic and I, th- I think that's where there's this sort of massive disconnect between you know just because someone is from um ha- looks a certain way they could still have their own disadvantages and and if then if they're not acknowledged you know they're gonna they're gonna feel disposed and and like feel left out and that's kind of what we're seeing at the moment there's this can, um research that shows that uh boys between or men between the ages of 18 and and 24 are going to university at the lowest rate ever right and especially relative to women um at the higher ends and 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 a lot of this has to do with um people being born or being in low socioeconomic areas and just because they're pakiha they're not recognized that they need support too right and low 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 socioeconomic um, areas that that they don't like discriminate. They affect everyone who's in that area, yep. right? Who's <clears> living <throat> in that. So the, I feel like just just hating or going nah because of your skin color, you don't you know feel deprived of the right food you might need or the right resources just because you know. So there's there's, there's this sort of battle of who has a worse which I don't think is helpful at all, right? We all have our own shit to deal with, but let's just figure out how we can all come up together, how we can equalize it as much as possible, because a lot of data shows that the more we equalize our our differences, the, the more we try to lift each other up instead of 
push one down or lift one up or pull one up or push you know like that's that's the data is there and it's way less about um the the race differences and, and just about bringing everyone up together hard i guess that'll spin us into the next part too because you know i'm from waitara we, we don't have the best resources here you grew up in harwara again not the best resources, the best resources there you know all. it's unless you're in new plymouth <laughs> that's that's where the, that's where it's at um mm-hmm. what advice would you tell let's go with a 17 year old harris and what would you tell 17 year old harris that's a really good question okay what would i tell 17 year old harris i would tell 17 okay The first would be to don't worry too much about where you're going to end up and what your life is going to look like, right? If you find something that you find even remotely interesting, pursue it, you know, put the mahi in. And if you enjoy it, it's going to be easier to put the mahi in. And when you keep building on the mahi you put in, you're going to build some momentum and you're going to discover if this thing is the right thing for you. And if it is, keep putting the mahi in. Because again, if you like it, it's going to be easier to put the mahi in, especially when it gets hard. And if you don't, then it's okay. Just switch, right? Um, I have to tell this to myself now. Bec- and and the funny thing is, like, we're still super young, right? I'm 27. And I have to continuously remind myself that even, you know... I can reset at 40, you know. When I was teaching at the Personal Training Institute, I would have people coming in at 50, 60 to change their careers and start fresh. And I'm like, if these guys can do it, I have no <laughs> fucking excuse, right? So I guess that that's my kind of advice to younger people is just try shit, work hard. If you like it, cool. If it's not working, is it because you just it's just not for you? If that is the reason then move on to something else if it's if you i always say like if you if you're gonna quit something when it's really hard don't don't quit when it's really hard keep going and see if you can overcome the barrier and then see how you feel and if it's and if you're still not into it that's when you leave 100 percent. right 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 see, if you can see the light at the end of the tunnel and you're like ah now nah, i'm still not feeling it then i think that's an appropriate time ah uh, just keep growing keep growing you grow in that space of darkness and uncertainty yeah, you have to. That's that's the only place you do grow. Struggle is growth. Hard. I then going off of that, what what message would you like to give yourself today? And you come back and look at this in five or ten years. What what piece of advice or what message would you like to give future Harris? Um, I would. Okay. Oh, this is tough. Actually, no. This is actually know exactly what I would need to tell myself that. If you keep aiming to get rejected as many times as possible, because it's only through in this is any form of rejection, work rejection, you know, so whatever. If you keep pushing to do the work that you're going to do, some people aren't going to like it, some people are, but if you keep pushing through, eventually you'll find that that neck where you belong, right? And that's you're going to only do that if you <laughs> continuously get. I'm rejected, pushed down, fail in some way. 
but you have to you have to aim for you know failing like a thousand times because that's the that's through that process you will eventually get better at the things that you're doing and and eventually succeed is by aiming to fail as many times as you can failure breeds success yeah that's it it's, it's simple but it's hard <laughs> it's so hard <laughs> It's, yeah, it's, it's so hard. But for a lot of people, you know, the biggest fear is rejection. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's and, and it makes sense, right? Because socially, if you get rejected, like if you think about evolutionarily, if you get rejected from your tribe in that small village, you're done. You're, you're done. You, did you know the biggest predictor of mortality is social support and social integration? Really? Yeah. It's not smoking. It's not alcohol. It's social connection shit i didn't know that that's how powerful social connection is that's why i am working so hard to make people think about connecting more you know that's why i want to go into workplaces and be like yo i know you guys enjoy working from home because it's easier (laughs) and you can work in your jammies (laughs) you don't have to see anyone but in the long run over time it's not gonna be healthy so you have to try harder to find this balance, even though in the short run, it's not going to be fun. Right. Well, I guess a couple of things before we wrap up. I've got this thing called a dream jar. It's not a jar, actually. I'm just putting it into a box now. I've got to do it with my <laughs> last guest. Um, but it's if you'd like to share one dream, two dreams, however many dreams, I'll write it down on this piece of paper, throw it in the box, and then over the years, I'll accumulate some and then, I'll get a board at the back and we'll just stick up. Everyone who's achieved their dreams can throw it up on the board. Or if um, we've been able to help anyone achieve their dreams, we'll also throw it up on the board. Mine are going to be put in that box as well. And then we'll just shuffle it around and pull them out as we go through this journey. Awesome. That's, that's really, that's really cool. Actually. Um, My dream, I would say my dream is to see Aotearoa get better at emotional discomfort and build tools to be better connected with one another and through that lift each other up i don't know what that will actually look like but i feel like i when it happens i'll be like yeah this is this is exactly this is it it's one of those things right those things where i can't point to what it would actually look like right now but over time if I, if it's happening, you'll 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 know you'll get this feeling. You'll know, and then we'll just be like, ah, Harris. That's it. <laughs> well, it's going in the box, bro. Perfect. Box. Can't wait. Accountability. Accountability, indeed. So, if it does happen, and if anyone spots it before we do, let us know. And then we can put it up on the board, add some artwork and stuff like that. Yeah, man, I'm looking forward to seeing it on the board. Yeah, bro, it's got to take up that space behind me. It's... <laughs> <laughs> we 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 still can't see. It's it's a work in progress. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's we're getting there. We're getting there. It's yeah, still getting trying there. to That's, sort yeah. through everything. <laughs> exactly. That's hey, if you started when everything was perfect, you would never start. Exactly. <laughs> it's all part of the learning the growth people can be like man i remember when there was like a photograph and this weird thing and this yellow sticker on that door <laughs> <laughs> and humble beginnings exactly 
Man, bro, before we wrap up, I just want to say again, a huge thank you for your time. But do you just want to let the people know where you're at, where we can find you and whatever you're up to, bro? Yeah, of course. So I go with, so I'm on Instagram, Harris, H-A-R, one R, I-S, underscore, with one R. So my name is Harris, underscore, with one R. That's my Instagram. You can also find me on simplify underscore well-being on instagram and on linkedin and on youtube and under simplify psychology just yeah if you if you look for my name harris one r and b-u-t-t but you'll find me in a lot of socials right that's me mean and I'll, I'll tag him in on this post once it comes on instagram um We'll try and find his YouTube and we'll, we'll tag it in on that video too so you guys can find him a little bit easier. But yeah, huge shout out to Harris. Go follow his stuff because he is doing some amazing shit right now and he always has been. He's been super intelligent. Uh, I was super inspired by him when I was at NZIS during those days. This motherfucker worked his ass off and I was that serial chiller that I talked about. <laughs> and now it's kind of... I flipped and I, I've jumped on his waka and I'm working my ass off now. <laughs> so sh- and I'm just shout out. I'm to just you. gonna say the thanks, thanks, Ra. I'm just gonna say for everyone that will listen to this and will continue to listen to this, Ra is such a awesome person to listen to and have conversations with. That he he makes it easy as well. <laughs> so it goes both ways. I appreciate it, my brother. So Fano. Modi Order, thank you so much for listening in. This is the 99 Drinks Podcast. I've been at Albury with an amazing guest, Harris. Man, it's been, yeah, it's been such a pleasure to catch up, bro. Always amazing. Man, loved it, loved it. It was so much fun. Sweet as Kaka Tifano. <laughs>